0: Welcome back to PTV's podcast series. This is Rick Anderson, Managing Director of PTV Healthcare Capital, and I'm here today with Bob O'Halla, Senior Advisor to our fund, really an expert in regulatory and quality affairs, and Bob, it's so good to be with you today, and for our audience, um, it'd be great to get your background, to share with them sort of where you came from and your experience, and I've got some general questions I want to ask you specifically as it relates to, you know, advice and counsel that you might give to startup CEOs, companies are trying to sort of stand up in today's regulatory environments. But let's start with the introduction, if you don't mind.
1: Sure, great. It's uh, good to be with you this morning, Rick. Um, I, uh, as you know, spent uh, all of my career at Johnson & Johnson, 34 years, I have a background in biology with an MBA, uh, spent a lot of time at Ethicon through the 80s when Ethicon was uh, birthing a lot of the franchises you see in j and today. In fact, one of the franchises you played a big role in, which was Cordis, started out as a stent program in Ethicon. Uh, I was the vice president of regulatory research services. So I had both the regulatory departments as well as uh, some research areas such as microbiology, IT. I also had responsibility for the patent work in R&D as well.
0: That's great, Bob. Look, you have a great track record. And look, you've worked across our portfolio of companies and been very helpful to our CEOs and our regulatory teams. With your role as a PTV senior advisor, sort of explain to our audience, what does that mean? and How do you work within our portfolio? Share, share with them some of the things that you've done. Sure.
1: So let me, let me start what I, what I do for PTV itself, which is try to give you guys, as you're looking at investments, a view of the environment. Uh, both from a regulatory perspective and what's happening in, in Washington that could affect our industry so you can make better investment decisions. And then once we have an investment in a company, we get I get involved in companies that may have particularly touchy issues with FDA and help them maneuver through uh, the regulatory process. Yeah.
0: And Bob, you've been, you've been a great help. I want to sort of unpack that a little bit, drill down on that a little bit. Sure. Further. What are some of the common regulatory hurdles? that today's contemporary small company faces.
1: Yeah, so it's it's really interesting since I uh, retired from Johnson & Johnson and started to look at the startup industry as something I wanted to pursue in my next life. Um, and small companies really do face problems that large companies don't give a second thought to. For example, small companies don't have access to all of the competencies that are required to meet the regulatory science requirements to get their products approved. So they need to think outside the box, where can I get those competencies? How can I bring them into the company when I need them, but not add to my overhead so that I'm not creating a big company when I'm still just a little startup? Right. right. No money
0: and lots of challenges. That's right. We get it. Looking back now, Bob, what advice... You know, would you have given yourself, if you were first starting out in the the private sector of healthcare, What can you sort of look back retrospectively and sort of give us your thoughts?
1: Sure. Um, uh, And it's interesting you ask that because I've often thought about, you know, what would I tell myself because, and and what I would say is two things, have patience and remember when you're negotiating, it's got to be a win-win, otherwise you can't get anywhere, including with regulatory bodies. There has to be a win on both sides, but the big thing is patience. This is an industry that used to move very, very fast. It still moves faster than pharmaceuticals, but it moves slower than it used to because of government. That's absolutely,
0: that's absolutely true. And Bob, what advice would you give to sort of healthcare entrepreneurs today specifically as it relates to, and if you could sort of talk about that patients required in the regulatory and quality area, just give us your thoughts about that.
1: Yeah. I think I think the first Thing that a startup CEO needs to think about is to understand the regulatory environment and his specific or her specific regulatory requirements for the product they're about to develop. So often, and, and you need to look at that in the context of what is it today that's required, and is is there something in the environment that's going to change that tomorrow, so that you don't start out on a path and and not look. Uh, about what's changing around you and you wind up in the end and you're not where you want to be. Right, right. The efficiency of the invested time and dollar is so critical to these folks and that makes
0: perfect sense, Bob. Um, just shifting gears a little bit, I, uh-huh. just going back to your, your background, you know, we have a lot of new entrepreneurs that are sort of coming into healthcare from outside of healthcare, right. specifically as we see this convergence of you know, digital health and medical devices. Why did you choose healthcare, Bob? What what attracted you to sort of launch a long career into healthcare? You had to have some logic at the time, or were you just were just lucky to pick healthcare? I,
1: I think it, I think the latter is, is somewhat at play and probably at play for all of us in the early parts of our career. I was always interested in science. I was a biology major in college and came into J&J and the, into the labs and realized I wasn't going to be the lab guy, but still was interested in science and looked at this regulatory arena, and I was starting in J&J at the same time medical device law was being written, so it was a perfect time to get out of the lab and into an area that lets you use science, but lets you use all of your other business skills at the same time.
0: Yeah, and Bob, I mean, over your illustrious career, you've had a chance to see sort of ebb and flows of the business and how things, the challenges that come and the opportunities and, and those different ways. You know as being part of our investment team, why should folks invest in healthcare today given sort of the challenges we face, we're the most regulated industry in the, in the world, you know, it's not easy, it's not for the faint of heart, so to speak, why, why should people, in your, from your, your view, uh, over your career, why should people want to invest in healthcare?
1: So it's interesting the way you phrase that question because you phrased all of those things that are happening as negatives. Mm-hmm. And certainly, if you're not involved and and engaged in the industry, you can see them as a negative looking from the outside. But on the inside, they are all opportunities. And so we look at the face of healthcare, as you point out, it's changing. Bigger regulatory requirements, reimbursement issues are changing. Uh, But we're looking at new development paradigms as well as new medical care paradigms. And today, the environment is ripe for rewarding those healthcare investments that help move that changing paradigm forward, it's the most exciting time I've seen in my career.
0: That's great, Bob. I couldn't agree with you more. And let's just talk about regulatory environment just a little bit, Bob. The FDA has went through dramatic changes over the years, and you briefed us on dramatic changes and other global regulatory agencies. Bob, can you sort of give us your general assessment of the regulatory environment worldwide? Worse? Better? cleaner, less clean? What's your view just globally as it relates to the US FDA as well as the other regulatory bodies around the world?
1: Yeah. So I I think, you know, when I started in in regulatory, uh, people were predicting that this is the medical device law was great, but it's ultimately going to be going to be just like pharmaceuticals. And we're going to have long approval times, a lot more data is going to be required. I think we're starting to see that now. And I think, Uh, particularly uh, in the U.S. and Europe, and I'll talk about both separately. In the U.S., we're still seeing consumer groups argue that the medical device law does not ask for enough data for devices. So we're starting to see the 510K process transition into what we used to call, when we were working together, the Mm mini-PMA. Regardless of what the law requires, that's what FDA is doing. Uh, And I think as the consumer groups continue to focus on that approval process, we're going to see more of that, and it will either be through just FDA implementing policy decisions about what's required, or even changes in the law that we're going to see it get tougher. The burden of proof is going to be higher. I think in Europe, we're going to see the same thing. As you know, Europe is going through looking at changes to the medical device uh, law there, They are tired, the the health authorities in Europe are tired of particularly U.S. companies. We've always used Europe as an example to FDA. Why can't you be more like Europe? It's easier. They don't want to be the easier regulators anymore. And so they're bumping up their standards. And in fact... It may be more difficult for, for example, for a class two device here in the US to get approved in Europe in the, in the foreseeable future. You'll need more clinical data in Europe than you will in the US right now. And,
0: Bob, in the evidence based world that we live in today, where it's sort of especially what's going on in our healthcare system here, and even in Europe and in Asia as it continues to develop. The evidence matters, so th- do you see that as a downside or an upside, the sort of entrepreneurs who have a technology that works, it's sort of with the grain of healthcare, it's it, it's either cost neutral or cost savings, um, and that they have the evidence to prove that? How do you, set, t- setting your regulatory hat aside, yeah. and t- speaking as a clinician, as, a, as an entrepreneur, how do, you, how do you view that?
1: So I think it's a positive, so l- let's all be honest, it t- makes our timelines longer, But in the end, it's a positive because our our consumers, the docs, the hospitals, even patients, as we begin to pay more for our health care, we're not going to just fall in love with the technology anymore. Gone are the days we go see a doc and say, look at our new device, don't you like this? And he says, yeah, and I'm going to bring this into my institution. So that power of the data to drive the buying decision is going to be very important. That's powerful, Bob. Thank you
0: for that. I, I want to. I just have one more question. Um, you're, you've been a great mentor to me and
1: to members of our team. What's the best advice you've been given? Focus. I think it's particularly in, in, in the startup arena, it's very easy to want to please everyone. And so I think a, a CEO of a startup needs to determine for herself what is the goal of what I'm doing here, spread that into the organization, and then relentlessly execute to that goal. However, every day, that person, the CEO, and the whole company needs to wake up every day and say, what changed from yesterday that may cause me to change my direction today?
0: Bob, that's absolutely great advice, and uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit with us today to give us advice, and for those entrepreneurs that are joining us via the podcast today, Bob has been one of the most powerful senior advisors to our fund. He is a wonderful guy, a fun guy to be with, but also you know, in a complex regulatory world, Bob, we very much value the advice and counsel that you give to us as investors, but also to our CEOs, so thanks
1: again for joining us. Great. It's great being here. Thanks, Chris.